Good morning. If I look a little funny today, it's because I'm, I'm trying out these new contacts, <laughs> uh, bifocal contacts, and um, a new substance in the, uh, the kind of contacts because the old ones, I just couldn't wear them anymore. I'm some kind of allergic response. So these are better, but it's just going to take me a little while. Sometimes I, I look at you and you go, er, er. <laughs> I can't tell if you're close or far. <laughs> <laughs> Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This is our New Testament reading for today. I'll say it again. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Last week, Father Steve preached about barriers to engaging with God. Today, I'm also going to talk about barriers, but in particular, barriers in our minds, in our thinking. I'm describing these barriers as deceptions, wrong beliefs, false assumptions, faulty thinking. It's important for us to understand barriers as deceptions because these kinds of barriers are not things we are usually aware of. In fact, they can be insidious. What does that mean? It means we don't know what we don't know. Deceptions hide by their very nature. They become the reasons we do what we do, whether we realize it or not. Our choices and behaviors are controlled by what we believe internally, not always by the beliefs that we say out loud in church. Our internal beliefs are what govern our lives. And if those beliefs are faulty and we don't know it, we are deceived. This is why Scripture says, do not be conformed anymore to the thinking patterns of this world. You know the old story, the frog in the pot of water who doesn't realize he's being boiled because he gets used to the increasing heat little by little? Well, being deceived is like that. You aren't aware. The frog is deceived into thinking that while he may feel increasingly uncomfortable, that's just how life is. He is not aware that the water is getting hotter and hotter until he is boiled. This is what God is getting at when he says we need to be transformed. We need our minds to be woken up to the fact that what we are believing and thinking is dangerous. It is not life-giving. In fact, our false assumptions will kill us eventually. God is calling for transformation a life-altering change in our minds. This is no small detail or minor readjustment. This is transformation, a change that is revolutionary. He is calling for a 180, an about-face, from a mind that is darkened by the powers of this world to a mind that is fully awake as we were intended to be, Indeed, a mind like Christ himself. 
This transformation happens through a renewal of our minds. Something old dies and something new is created. Old ways of thinking and <laughs> something just happened and I will fix it. Old ways of thinking are exposed and rejected. And the eyes of the heart are opened to new life-giving ways of thinking. It's important to understand what I mean here by mind, heart, thinking, and so forth. They're all words that are found in the Bible. Um, but in the Bible, our mind is referring to our understanding, our comprehension of ourselves, our comprehension of God and how life works. Our thinking comes from our mind. Thinking is pattern of thought, patterns of thought. Our thinking comes from what our mind understands. Our heart is the place where we see and hear God. Our heart in the Bible is actually not our emotions. Our heart is what is either open or closed to the spirit. When our heart is soft and open, we can see and hear God. When it is hard, it is closed to things of the spirit and cannot see clearly. This in turn shuts down our understanding, our thinking, and our mind. You can see how important it is that our hearts and our minds not be deceived into believing things that are not true. Any false thinking, any wrong assumption becomes a blockage, a barrier to engaging with God. A wrong assumption may start small, but leads to a huge gaping chasm between what you perceive and what is actually true. It may seem like using the word deception is a little too strong. I'm also using phrases like faulty thinking, wrong assumptions, false beliefs. But throughout the Bible, these wrong beliefs are often called blindness, an inability to see or an inability to see correctly. We are blind to what is in front of us. Our minds are darkened. Our eyes are veiled when we're blind. We have been deceived. We are in the dark. We have been lied to. And we have believed those lies. Anything that is not from the mouth of God, that does not come from his kingdom, is a distortion of truth that can only be called a lie. Because there is no truth outside of God. Satan, our enemy, is called the father of lies. It is his very nature to distort and twist truth into a lie. That is all he can do because he cannot create like God can. So he takes a truth of the kingdom and he manipulates it, twists and distorts it so that he can deceive us and destroy us. This is very important to understand. The nature of deception in and of itself is to twist truth even ever so slightly so as to keep it unseen, hidden, so it can do its work of undermining us without us ever becoming aware of it. 
we can assume today that all of us have deception in our lives, internal beliefs that are not based in truth. It's part of our human condition. And these deceptions are affecting our lives, our choices and behaviors, and they block our engagement with God. Erroneous perceptions of God is like having sorry, erroneous perceptions of what God is like have been erected in our lives. These are what we call strongholds, wrong views of who God is, wrong views of who we are, wrong views of how life works. These are faulty towers that stand in the way of our relationship with God and other people. Here are a few very down-to-earth examples um, to help you understand what I mean. You'll chuckle at these. My first couple are actually for the teenagers among us. <laughs> these are examples of what can be faulty thinking, false assumptions, deceptions, lies. Here's one. My parents are completely stupid. Here's another. If I can't go out Friday night, I am just going to die. <laughs> or, why do I have to do everything around here? <laughs> Here's some for us adults. Nothing ever goes right for me. Things will never change. I'm right and you are wrong. <laughs> These are examples of internal beliefs, ways of thinking that have become so unconsciously ingrained we don't even realize they are there. But they can govern all our choices and our behaviors. Can you see how, for example, the first teenage thought, my parents are completely stupid, could cause you to make a bad choice? If you believe they are stupid, you are not going to follow their advice. You will follow a friend's advice, or worse yet, social media advice. You will follow another teenager who has no experience or wisdom, who also thinks parents and adults are stupid. That's deception. We laugh when we hear this in a sermon, but that's partly because we know these feelings so well, don't we? We all have lies that we tell ourselves every day which are undermining our best efforts to manage our lives. False assumptions will cause us to make choices that lead us down dangerous paths, period. False assumptions will cause us to make choices that lead us down dangerous paths, because they don't match reality. They are deceptive. Being deceived, believing lies, is sufficient in and of itself to cause us to sin, to miss the mark, to not get us where we should be going. Unfortunately, for that recipe to work, all you need is to believe something that isn't true, whether you realize it or not. The rest just follows suit. Where do these, these deceptions come from? Well, they can have a variety of origins. Some are from bad theology, 
that we were taught by our teachers, our leaders, our institutions, parents, families. Bad theology is incomplete or incorrect understanding of who God is and what his purposes are in our lives. Some faulty beliefs are spiritual deceptions coming from demonic forces that have taken advantage of our vulnerabilities. Our minds have become darkened through the harassment and the oppression of evil. Others are developmental barriers. Our thought patterns have not grown up yet. We never got the maturity we needed for the increasing complexity of life. Our views about life don't fit reality. They are stuck in our childhood perceptions. Emotional barriers are deceptions in the ways that we feel and react to life. Our feelings are lying to us about what the truth is. We are blocked from understanding where those feelings are really coming from and how to process them in a healthy way. What we need is a new map of life, a new pattern, a renewed mind, one that is clear and accurately reflects a picture of the terrain that we are in, one that has been cleared of the deceit, not built on faulty assumptions. Fortunately, we are not alone in our plight. We are not alone stuck in our deceptions. God has a plan for us to be cleared up, renewed, and transformed. He has given us many illustrations and examples in scripture that show us our need so that we can become open to change. Even today, he is knocking at our door, the heart, the door of our hearts, softening them so that we'll be able to hear him. So we will have open hearts and see him. So he can show us where our thinking is wrong and renew our minds with good, clean truth that will set us free from the prison bars of deception. Let's look at the examples in our readings for today. First one, turn to the gospel reading. It's the parable of the talents. In this section, Jesus is telling several story parables to his followers that describe aspects of the coming of the kingdom of heaven. He is drawing a picture for them of what it will be like when judgment day comes and we bring our lives on earth before the master to be evaluated, rewarded, and also punished. So Jesus tells a story about a master a wealthy property owner who is going on a long journey and entrusts his servants with his property while he is away. He gives them talents. Now a talent in, in this story is not a personality trait or a gift or a skill. It's a monetary unit worth about 20 years wages for a common laborer. An article of silver gold that is worth thousands of shekels. He gives the servants an amount that matches their ability to handle the responsibility. The first two servants invest their specific amounts, but the third servant digs a hole and hides the money to safe keep it. The master finally comes home and meets with each servant to settle accounts. How did they do? The first two are commended for their work of investing the money. 
told that they were faithful over a little and will now be given even further responsibility as well as an invitation to enter into the joy of the master. They are rewarded with the joy of now being co-owners with the master. The third servant is different. He has not invested or developed the potential of the money he was given to take care of. He says, Master, I knew that you were a hard man. You have high standards and hate careless ways, that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you. So I found a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound down to the last cent. The master calls him wicked and slothful. And he says, if you knew I demanded the best, why did you do so little? Why didn't you risk more if you knew that I could reap where I did not sow? He calls him worthless and casts him into outer darkness. The point of this parable is that the servant's wrong view of the master caused him to make a vital mistake. He viewed the master as harsh and demanding, when in fact, the master wanted to reward the servants. He was giving them an opportunity to not only take care of his property, but to develop their potential as stewards and invite them into a closer working relationship with him. The third servant's fear of the master caused him to draw a wrong interpretation of what the best behavior would be. He made a bad choice with consequences, all because he had faulty assumptions about his master. This is a hard parable, isn't it? Jesus told quite a few parables like this that at first hearing, they feel harsh to our ears. But might it be because we too do not know him well enough? That we too have faulty beliefs about him, about what he is looking for, for how he wants to treat us? I leave this question with you. Might it be that you need your mind renewed in a way in the way that you perceive God. Now let's look at the story of Naaman from our Old Testament reading. Naaman was the supreme commander of the Syrian army, a mighty man of valor who had led Syria to victory. Everything was going well in Naaman's life, except he had contracted leprosy, a disfiguring disease that led to isolation and death. His servant girl, a slave from neighboring Israel, suggested to him that Elisha, the prophet in Israel, would be able to cure him. So Nathan makes the trip south. He brings with him gifts of silver, gold, and fine clothing. He arrives with his horses and his chariots right to the door of Elisha. Quite a display of importance. But Elisha won't even see him. Instead, he sends out his servant with a message and says, the message says, go wash in the Jordan River seven times and your leprosy will disappear. That's it. Naaman gets very angry and he leaves. 
He had expected the prophet to come out and greet him, at the very least, and then make a display of healing power over him, something fitting a man of his stature. He didn't want to wash in the Jordan River. He said, aren't the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters in Israel? The story says he left in a rage. What happened here? Naaman had a view of himself that became a barrier to receiving the healing he was looking for. He was insulted by Elisha's lack of respect for his stature and title. And he was insulted by the demeaning instructions for healing. Wash in a river? This was not the treatment Naaman had expected. He thought his wealth and prestige could buy power from the God of Israel, would make an impression on the prophet and motivate him to call down God's power. But he had it all wrong. He knew nothing about the God of Israel. He figured wrongly that Israel's God was like his God, Ramon, in Syria. He was ignorant and deceived. One of the worst combinations we can have in our minds. Ignorance and deception. His views of himself, his views of God, his views of how to interact with God and God's prophet were all faulty. But in this story, thankfully, Naaman's errors did not remain an obstacle to his healing. His servants approached him and reasoned with him, admonished him, really, and he relented. He listened to a different interpretation from his servants, no less. This took humility, a willingness to hear another view, even in the midst of his anger. His error was exposed. He went to the Jordan, he washed seven times, and was completely cured. He received exactly what he had set out to find, healing. So in both these stories, one a parable and one an historical event, we see how there can be barriers that hinder us from engaging with God in ways that produce life, healing, and reward. Faulty assumptions, wrong beliefs, ignorance even, were the driving forces behind poor choices that had huge consequences. Both characters made choices based on wrong views of God and themselves and how relationship with God works. You might say they were prideful, they were fearful, they were foolish. Yes, but those behaviors are rooted in something else, namely false beliefs. It's the false internal beliefs about God and ourselves that become our stumbling blocks. They remain there hidden and insidious, tripping us up over and over again. We continue to make the same mistakes because our inside beliefs are faulty. They have become barriers to hearing and seeing God as he really is. Do you wonder if you might have blocks like this to your interactions with God? Might you be harboring hidden internal beliefs, lies you have believed and are not aware of? Probably. We all have a lot of clearing up to be done in our minds. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah said, all of us, like sheep, have turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Iniquity in the Bible 
is malformation. Something grown wrong. Faulty thought patterns that have developed over time. Ways of thinking that have gone their own way. Iniquity is not the behaviors that we call sin. It is twisted, bent thinking that leads to sin. Life events, bad modeling by our families, poor religious teaching, sins we have committed, habits we have developed, all of these have resulted in twisting the truth in our minds so that our thinking is not clear and accurate according to the way things really work in the kingdom of God. We need God to cleanse us, much like Naaman the leper. We need our understanding of God to be corrected, like the unfortunate servant in the parable who had a hard view of God. We cannot enter the kingdom of heaven with false thoughts. It's impossible. The kingdom is full of truth and clarity. Our minds need to be renewed. That is why scripture says, be not patterned after this world and its false thinking anymore, but be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind, by your thoughts being changed. You can't do this by yourself. None of us, leaders, congregation members, how can we even know if our thoughts are faulty? Our internal belief structures off base, how do we know? Especially if the nature of deception is to remain hidden. I offer this morning one directive. Ask your Father in heaven to show you where your thinking is not correct. Simply ask him. Come to him in simple prayer. Ask him to show you what is faulty and distorted. Not what is faulty and distorted in you, but in your thinking. He always loves you and invites you to approach him as you are, not with everything in perfect alignment. He is not saying you are evil and deformed. He is saying that your thinking, your mind has been corrupted. What deceptions have had sway in your life? He will show them to you and provide you with truth. He will cleanse you of your leprosy. He will order your thoughts to accurately reflect the way things truly are. He will turn on the light of your mind. He will renew it. He will take what is dead and he will bring it to life. He will be faithful to answer your prayer and not permit you anymore to live out of darkness and deception. This is the business that God is in, renewing minds. God renews minds. God is wonderful. He loves to do this. It is his desire and his will. It is his disposition. It's his character. It's what he spends his time doing. He doesn't want to have to cast us into outer darkness or see us languish in leprosy. He wants us to know him as he truly is, not to be deceived, blind, confused, and off track. The enemy, Satan, is not only called in scripture the father of lies, but he's also called the prince of the power of the air. This means that for the time being, he has a certain amount of influence in the world to deceive us with the help of his demonic fallen angels. He is working hard to destroy the human race through our own choices and behaviors. He wins when we are deceived. 
He loses when our minds are renewed. Don't be deceived into a life that will reap outer darkness. It is real. Jesus was not sugarcoating this life. He was telling us the truth. If our thoughts are not like his thoughts, we will make wrong choices that have eternal consequences. We can't see straight on our own. Be warned. Take Jesus' words to heart. Don't be hard and shut down. Hear the words of warning and rebuke. God is in the business of renewing minds, transforming our lives, changing our patterns deep, deep inside, changing us from the inside out, not fixing our behaviors, but changing our thinking so that our behaviors change. God's way of change is the best way. It is the most reliable, the most comprehensive, the most curing, the most life-giving. It is true freedom. Freedom from deception and slavery to false thinking. Freedom to join him, the master, as a co-worker into the joy of friendship and labor with him. So I invite you this morning, this week, this Lenten season, to ask God to show you where your thinking is false, where your pattern of thinking is not based in his reality, where you might be blind. Again, be open, be soft, be willing to hear things that may cause you shame or distress at first, but they are intended to help you, to help you find what you are looking for once you can accurately see what is going on inside of yourself, God will also help you see the way to get rid of that false thinking, how to align your thoughts with God's thoughts to produce truth and transformation. God promises this to be. He says in Romans, be transformed by the renewal of your mind that my best for you can be brought out and developed into maturity. His way is best. His way is truth. His way is life-giving. His way is clear and clean. His way is dependable. His way is honest. His way is always right for us. Amen.